The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. As our kids head out, four and five, let me just invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, as we walk through this book together, uh, it is good to begin the service with baptism. Uh, And Adeline was ready for this day. She's been ready ever since she received Christ as Savior, and uh, it's good to have that as our Way to kick things off, right, Adeline? Yep. She wasn't nervous. She was just excited. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, we, um, we have been saved. If you are here today and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been saved. But now what? What do we do now? Do we, do we just wait and, and wait and wait? I mean, if you look at a lot of lives of a lot of self-professing Christians, you would assume that everything is pretty well over, except for the part about heaven. Uh, that all there is now to do is to sit around and wait, to wait for Him to return, to spend our lives pursuing pleasure uh, with a lot of things here and now uh, because the there and then has not yet arrived. And uh, is, is this all that there is? Well, the Bible reveals a very different picture. The Christian life requires a faith that perseveres until the very end. This is not to be taken lightly, this issue of perseverance in the Christian walk. It's to be taken very seriously because, and Paul illustrates that for us in our passage today, by describing this perseverance as warfare. He writes to Timothy and he says to him, wage the good warfare. Too many Christians, I believe, have no idea that we are living in a time of war. Too many self-professed Christians believe that we are living in sort of peacetime, that everything is good, and that we need, not, uh, we, we need not be on the alert. But Paul here calls Timothy to wage a good warfare. Too many churches look a lot like cruise ships instead of like aircraft carriers. The church is, is not meant to be a place of, of luxury where all of your needs are met and everyone just waits around to serve you. A church is meant to be a place where we are equipped, as I spoke of with the membership class this morning, and then deployed, sent out into a world to live really on mission to make much of Christ Jesus in our world today. And so that's what we want to talk about today, that pastors aren't the only ones who are called to fight, but that every single Christian is, in, is called to engage in the battle of perseverance, that we must labor, that we must persevere until the very end. But I would tell you this morning, that we are not left to our own resources. We're going to see in our passage this morning that God has given us weapons for this warfare. And three questions that we'll ask as we walk through this passage this morning are, how do we fight? What happens to those who don't fight? And how should we treat those who are in danger? So those are our questions. I want to read the passage, and then I want to pray and ask God to to sanctify us with the truth this morning. Follow along with me, 1 Timothy 1, beginning in verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we need to hear from you. Lord, we need you to sanctify us in truth. Lord, your word is truth. 
And so, God, I pray that you would show us clearly the truth that is contained in your word, that you would set us free from sin that ensnares us, or that you would call us to faithfulness and holiness, or that you would cause us today through the preaching of your word to rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would, we would rest from striving to be made pleasing to you in our own strength, but God, that because we have been made pleasing to you in the wonderful life and death, the gospel of Jesus, that it would cause us to long to persevere. Would you give us energy to live out what you call us to today? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So first off, how do we fight? How do we fight? God gives us some weapons that are laid out for us in this passage. The first weapon is truth. We fight as believers in, according to God's truth about us. In verse 18, Paul writes to Timothy and he says to him, I'm giving you this charge in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. Now, we ask immediately, what prophecies is Paul talking about? What, what is he saying here? What is he referring to? Well, the truth is we don't know exactly. We don't know if these were some specific instructions, specific prophecies that, about what Timothy would live out in his days, or if this is simply referring to uh, th that Timothy was indeed called to ministry and that God would use him in the church. We know that later on, chapter 4, verse 14, uh, that the elders there, Paul refers to a previous time when the elders laid their hands on Timothy and set him apart for ministry. And so perhaps that's what this is talking about, that Paul is reminding Timothy of his calling and how he was set apart not only by God but by the church to be a minister of the gospel. But I think if we go outside of Timothy's experience and we bring this home to us, I think there are at least two applications for you and I. You may not be called to ministry, to vocational ministry, but you are indeed called, if you are a believer, to make much of Jesus Christ, to make disciples, to love your neighbor, and, and there are two applications here for us. The, the first is this. We learn, if we're talking about the truth that God says about us, what does God think about us, what is true of us according to God, we learn those things from the Bible. We learn those things from Scripture. We, we learn those, th those things by sitting under the regular preaching and teaching of God's Word. It's one of the greatest privileges of my life to spend my weeks studying God's Word to stand before you and to deliver messages coming from God's Word. I don't have to come up here and, and just come up with something creative to say to you, God has spoken and therefore I can reveal to you God's Word. We preach systematically through books of the Bible here, verse by verse, and by doing so through the regular preaching of God's Word, over the course of time you and I learn what it is that God says about us. We learn these prophecies that are made about us. These things that are true of us because we are in Christ. You also learn those things that are true of you through your regular Bible readings, through your quiet time. I wrote on my notes here because I ran out of room, QT. So before QT was quick trip, QT was quiet time. And you learn about who you are in Christ as you spend time alone with the Lord reading your Bible and praying and talking with Him, and you find out who God says that you are as His child. This is where we learn who we are. But there's a second application here for us, and I think it is an important one, one that we might miss. We, are, we not only learn who we are in Christ from the Scriptures, but we are affirmed in our identity and our calling 
by the community of faith, by the church. Timothy's calling would, would require more than a feeling. It would require more than Timothy's thinking, you know, I really sense that God's leading me into ministry. If this is only a feeling in Timothy's mind, his heart, when the things start to go south, when things get rough as he leads the church, those feelings will fade. There are times, and I, I, I caution, I, I talk with, with, uh, with young men often who are, who are pursuing ministry, and, and I, one of the things I, I warn them and caution them about is the fact that you better have an, a calling from God. Because a calling is different than a feeling. And this is, has to be more than a feeling for Timothy because his feelings would fade, would fade. Timothy's calling, though, was not simply something that he felt or sensed from the Lord. It was something that not only did he sense, but the church sensed as well. In chapter 4, verse 14, we read there, I've already spoken of it, that the elders laid their hands on, this is the pastors of the church, laid their hands on Timothy and set him apart for ministry. And in so doing, they are not giving him some magical powers. What they are doing is, is affirming and saying, Timothy, we see this in you. We agree. We believe God is calling you out to this work. And this is an important um, step in the process that so many have often missed. We think that we can, we can follow God apart from the church of God, and it is just not so. You may never be called to vocational ministry. But if you are a Christian, you are called. You are called to make disciples. You are called to love your neighbor. As Matthew 5.16 says, you are called as a believer to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You and I need the affirmation of the faith family. We need the Word of God to tell us who we are, and we need the affirmation of the family of God to encourage us in this whether we are going into vocational ministry or whether we are simply following Christ to make much of Him. We need one another. Aren't you thankful this morning on Thanksgiving weekend for the church of Jesus Christ? I'm thankful for this place. I'm thankful for you as a people. I'm thankful that I have people that will speak into my life, that will encourage me, that will challenge me at times. And we need one another for this. A second application here uh, in this, when, when Paul writes to Timothy and says, I'm giving you this charge in accordance with the prophecies made about you, then he goes on and he says to wage the good warfare, and he explains how he does this. So the second war, uh, weapon of our warfare is not only the truth that God says about us, but the power of the gospel. He says there in verse 19, he encourages Timothy to hold on to faith. I would tell you that it is impossible to follow Christ apart from the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ came and lived in your place and died in your place. You cannot follow Christ. You cannot take one step toward God in any other avenue except through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That may sound like an arrogant, closed-minded thing to say in 2018, but it is no less the word of God. God tells us that there is no way to come to God but through Jesus Christ. And it's impossible for us to follow Christ apart from that good news. But just as that is impossible, it is just as impossible to persevere in following Christ apart from the gospel. The gospel is not something that we, we begin with and leave off of. 
The gospel is, is, is something that we continue to walk in. It is not that we need to get into God's good graces with the gospel and then we're through. It is the fact that God's gospel keeps us in His good graces. Philippians 2, verses 12-13, Paul there challenges believers to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. And he goes on and he says that while we are called to work it out, it is God who works in us both to will and to work. That God is the one who gives us the, the desire to persevere, and He will also give us the, the, the strength and energy to persevere. Later on in the service, we have not sang it yet, but we will sing it in the time of reflection. Uh, he, he, he will hold me fast by the Gettys. Before we sing this, I want to just call your attention to the lyrics of this song, of this modern hymn. He will hold me fast. The, the lyrics, the first verse goes, When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I, I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. And the final verse says, For my life He bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with Him to endless life, He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight when He comes at last. All the way through, from beginning until final end, it is God who will hold us fast. We must believe in the gospel. We must, we must fight this good warfare as we strive to live and persevere in faith. We must do so not apart from the gospel, but through the gospel. Holding squarely to the gospel. Not graduating from it. Not thinking that there is some deeper truth or some, some grander knowledge than the gospel. There could be no greater truth than Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Whereby we are the worst of them all. This is how we will persevere. The third weapon of our warfare not only is the truth of what He says that we are and the power of the Gospel, but the third is the purity of a good conscience. The purity of a good conscience. He finishes that out. He sort of turns over one coin. On one side of the coin is holding faith. On the other side of the coin is holding on to a good conscience. Everyone has a conscience. And conscience is this built-in barometer of right and wrong. It tells you that when you begin to go off into an action or, or have a thought or, or start to say something, whether inwardly this is right or this is wrong. And sometimes our conscience is affected by, by what we learn, how we're brought up, the values of family and friends and a community around us. Some, of, some have, have a weak conscience they're not able to, to, to go where others might go. And others have a strong conscience. They're able to, to be free in Christ and, and do things that others would struggle with. Everyone has this conscience. It's built in. You have a conscience here today. If you are a believer, you still have a conscience. If you are an unbeliever here today, God has given you the gift of a conscience. It is a gift of His that you must uh, be thankful for. I want to tell you three things to do with your conscience. These are not original with me. I heard these um, from a man named Sandy Wilson, but I'll, I'll share them with you today. Three things that you should do with your conscience. Number one, follow it. 
follow your conscience. When you ignore your conscience, if you do so often enough and long enough, long enough, you may wind up searing your conscience. It's, it's, your conscience is, is a gift from God to help you by protecting you and guiding you. It's not a bad thing. Sometimes we think that when we come to Christ and the Spirit indwells us, we leave off from the conscience and, and we're, we're only to listen to conviction. But God has, has in mind to redeem the whole of man, the whole of His creation, including the conscience. And so He's given that to us as a gift. So follow it. But number two, the second thing that you should do is to train your conscience. That no conscience is perfect. That we are not yet home. That sometimes we, we have feelings about this is wrong or that is wrong or that is right and that is right. And sometimes it's, it's not accurate at all. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse, verses 1-11, through 11, Paul talked about this. That there were some that were eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols and some had problems with it and some were free to do it. This is the section where he says, as you do this, understand that, that you are free in Christ, that there is, there is nothing that God has made that, that, is, that is unholy, that we are not made holy by food, we're not made unholy by food. But he says that there are others who have this weaker conscience that may be offended and caused to stumble in your freedom. So consider your brother. And when he points out here that there are some who have weaker conscience, consciences and, and others that are stronger, he is pointing to the fact that those with weaker consciences can indeed train those. So while we are called to follow our conscience, we are also called to train it. And then the third thing to do with your conscience is to restrain it. And this is where some of you struggle. Some of you are too aware of, maybe not too aware, it's too strong of a word, but you are very aware that you are a sinner, that, that you are always falling, that you are always failing, and your conscience condemns you. And, and I would tell you that, that at times you will need to restrain your conscience because your conscience is not Lord. God is Lord. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4 that, that it was not right for anyone to judge him. He knew of nothing against himself, but in the end that the Lord alone would judge him. And some of you are walking around with this weight of guilt that you have allowed your conscience to, to heap on you and, and you need to restrain it and walk in the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul here gives these two, these, these faith and conscience, they go together. He gives them together because as the conscience goes, so goes faith. And here's what I mean by that. Violating your conscience leads you to distort or pervert your faith. As, as you begin to, to violate your conscience, the thing that you say, I know this is wrong, but you say, but I really want to do it, and you begin to violate your conscience and go against your conscience into that activity, before long you will begin to look at the Word of God and either ignore direct commands about that activity, or you will begin to look for loopholes in, the, in God's Word to justify what you really, really want to do. And these are the weapons of our warfare. That Paul here has given, given us this command, not only to Timothy, but also to us, this command to wage a good warfare. And he tells Timothy, I'm telling you to, to wage this warfare, to fight in the things that, that God says are true of you, to fight in the things that are accurate, to trust in the gospel, and, and, and to wage a warfare from the position of purity. Truth, faith, and purity are the weapons of this warfare. And you and I are called to fight. 
Well, second question that I would bring your attention that we would ask this morning is what happens to those who refuse to fight? This sometimes is a, is a question posed to me that uh, someone will bring up somebody that seemed to have this profession of faith. They seemed to have this miraculous conversion. They were red hot for the Lord for a season, but they wound up walking away. And someone will say, well, what does that mean? What happened? How could they walk away if they were truly saved? The reality is that perhaps they were never truly saved to begin with. There are some who Jesus spoke of this parable of soils. There are some that are convinced by an emotional experience or, or, or a need to perform or, or something or another, and their conversion is not real, and they walk away at some point. They reject all of what Paul has just said to them. Verse 19, Paul says that by rejecting this, what's Paul referring to? Well, he's referring to exactly what we just talked about. There are people who profess to know Christ, but they reject the truth of God. They, they reject the, the affirmation of God's people. They reject the gospel of God's Son, and they reject to live lives of godliness. They reject all these things. And Paul says here in verse 19, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. You ever seen a shipwreck? It's not a pretty sight. It's really a sad sight. You're out maybe driving a coastline somewhere or you're on a ship somewhere and you look over against the rocks. There is the remains of an old ship that at one point some vessel was out on the seas and got caught probably in bad weather and is now dashed there on the rocks and it's left to just rot away. On our honeymoon uh, 23 years ago, we went to the Cayman Islands. And uh, in the Cayman Islands, you can get on one of these submarines and you can go down. You can go down under the water about 110 feet or so. And uh, we really didn't see much of anything. We had a really kind of a bad tour guide that day. We went down and we saw a bunch of fish that would just swim up to the windows. But I have heard since then that now they take you to the site of wreckage. And they take you and they show you these ships that have gone down. And it's a sad sight to see this vessel that at one time was sailing and that was, that was bustling with activity. You think of the Titanic and others. You think of all that was going on in those ships at one time, whether they were fishing vessels or whether they were cruise liners, and all of a sudden they are on the bottom of the sea or they are against the rocks and they will never sail again. In 1757, a man named Robert Robinson wrote a familiar hymn that you and I sing often. He wrote, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. In, in the, the lyrics of this song, I've shared with you one song, I'll share with you another, Come Thou Fount, he says, Come Thou Fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing Thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of Thy redeeming love. Verse number two, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. How his kindness yet pursues me, mortal tongue can never tell. Clothed in flesh till death shall loose me, I cannot proclaim it well. Robert, Robert Robinson struggled with the, the pull to wander, to give up the warfare, to, to not persevere as he followed the Lord all of his life. 
We know this because the third verse of that hymn he wrote, O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The fourth verse. O that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. Clothed in in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Take my ransomed soul away. Send thine angels now to carry me to realms of endless day. You and I sing that from, from this side of 1757. But as, as Robert Robinson was pinning that in those days, if we'd have known what he struggled with daily, we would sing that a little differently. We would know that these were not just beautiful words that you and I sing that tell the, the story of our wandering hearts held by grace. But we would see the real battle that Robert Robinson fought daily. That he knew how prone he was to wander from the Lord. There's a story that goes about Robert Robinson's life that, that he began as, as a Methodist preacher. He converted at some point to, uh, to a Baptist and in the latter part of his life, he became friend with a man who was a Unitarian. And Unitarian, Unitarians deny the, the full deity of Jesus Christ. And the story goes that he became so close to that friend that before long, he, um, he too denied the full deity of, of Christ and walked away. Now, I don't know if that's the, the story, if, if that's a true story or not, but how sad would it be if a man who wrote those words, O oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Oh, how sad it would be if a man who penned those words wound up walking away in the end. Oh, how sad it would be that a man who wrote, On that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. Clothed then in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Take my ransomed soul away. Send thine angels now to carry me to realms of endless day. As you read it now on the backside, knowing that part of the story, you, you hear the torment in his voice as he fought the warfare every day. It is my prayer that, that Robert Robinson, in the end, did not truly walk away from the Lord. But this is only a story told about him. But you and I know very well that this is something that we are in danger of at times as we walk through this life. Not necessarily of walking away from the Lord. If you are saved, you, you are held by His grace. But you know the, the, the temptation to wander. You know the pullings at times of the world. And you know how serious this can be. And if this story is true of Robert Robinson, what a sad shipwreck of a life. There are those who, who sit under the preaching of God's Word, who hear the Gospel repeatedly over and over again for years upon years, and at some point in their life they walk away from the Gospel. And they live the rest of their life in shipwreck. Their lives of faith, faith are dashed upon the rocks uh, of their rejection. And that's what happens to those who refuse to fight. The third question that we'll ask this morning is, is how should we treat those who are in danger? 
Those who are not fighting, but they're not yet walk, they've, they've not gone completely away. How do we treat those who are in danger of making shipwreck of their lives? Well, Paul gives us the example here. In verses 20, he says, Among these who have made shipwreck of their lives or are in danger of doing so are Hymenaeus and Alexander. These are the false teachers that he had warned us about previously in verses 3 through 7. And while he had re- refrained himself from, from naming names at that point, he can't help it now, and he names the names of these men. And he puts them out there for Timothy to see. I would say to you that today in any church, there are Hymenaeuses, if I can say that, and Alexanders that are at any time trying to slip in among us, that are trying to go unnoticed among us, that are rejecting the truth of God's Word that have left off from the gospel, that are forsaking the assembling of themselves with the family of God, that are refusing to walk in purity and godliness. It's the, it's the different names, perhaps, but it's the same old game. We must not allow it. We must not allow it, not if we love them and, and we love the church. It's not speaking strictly of teachers, but to all members of a congregation. So how should we treat those who are refusing to fight the good fight, to wage the good warfare? This is twofold, and I know I've given you a lot of numbers, but hang with me just to the end. I'm almost through here. How do we treat them? Number one, we put them out. You say, put them out? Pastor, that seems awfully harsh. Well, put them out seems pretty soft compared to what Paul said. Paul said he handed him over to Satan. And that's really what Paul is talking about here. It's not the kind of treatment that you expect or want to receive from your pastor. No one's coming to a pastor who's grown a church and it's just exploded and saying, Pastor, how did you grow the church? And the pastor turns and says, well, I just give all my members to Satan. That's not really a good church growth strategy. But Paul here tells Timothy, I've handed them over to Satan. Paul's not encouraging Timothy to draw pleasure from the pain of others. What he's pointing to, he's reminding Timothy, is that the church is God's gift. And the church has been designed by God as a haven and a shelter from the evils of our enemy and the temptations of this world. The church is not meant to be some commune that we all shrink away from the world and hide inside. But it should be a place where we are guarded and protected. We gather together once or twice or three times a week sometimes, but the rest of the time we are sent out into the world. And in the world we will will face all sorts of trials, but this should be a place where, where we are in covenant with one another, where we sit under the Word of God, where we yield our lives to it and to one another, to encourage one another and confront one another. And this is what Paul is reminding Timothy of. When we turn someone out of the church... It means that we withdraw their membership. And by withdrawing their membership, we do so uh, for a specific reason. We with, in, in withdrawing their membership, we withdraw God's protection so that they will feel the brunt of their choices, of their sin. There are, and this sounds like a, like a preacher rant, but there are too many churches that don't give uh, a care in the world about what their people are doing about what their church members are in and involved in, whether they are straying or pursuing the Lord, whether they are red hot for for Jesus or whether they are 
are going after the things of the world. There are too many churches that, that don't care at all, where sin is allowed to just sort of run rampant among the body, where we can compartmentalize faith away from the world. And we can say that this is the place that is sacred, and out there we then turn this off and we go completely secular. And that is not the picture of the church that the Bible gives. Paul here tells Timothy, we must put them out in order to draw them in. We must put them out to draw them in. That's what he says there. I have handed them over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is not revenge that Paul is exacting on these men. Perhaps he had reason to. But this is not revenge. This is Paul loving them. Paul is loving them here by not allowing them to remain in false assurance. And as your pastor, I stand before you today, and I do not want to pastor a church that allows you to sit comfortably in chairs and just slide your way into hell. It is the most unloving thing that, a, that, that we could ever do to give a, an affirming nod to those who are wandering away from the Lord and who are making shipwreck of their faith on the rocks of their rebellion. That is, that is unloving. It may seem friendly and it may seem attractional, but in the end, it leads to hell. And this is hard preaching today. But you and I need to be reminded that the church is not some place that, that we just add this on to our life to feel good about ourselves. Paul here says, this charge I give to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies made previously about you, that you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Some, by rejecting this, have made shipwreck of their faith. And I have turned them over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. And that is a hard word, but it is a necessary word. We love you enough. I love you enough to warn you with the gospel. I do not want you to walk out of this place today saying, the pastor said I just got to try harder. The pastor said I've just got to do the right things. The pastor said that I've just got to stay away from the wrong things. If that's what you leave today with, you have not heard me correctly. You cannot follow Jesus, you, not, you cannot follow God without the gospel, nor can you persevere in following God apart from the gospel. You and I must live there. That Jesus came and lived a perfect life so that you and I, while we are called to holiness, we can't ever live completely holy lives. We were born as sinners and as quick as we can, we chose to sin on our own. We need a Savior. The good news is that Jesus lived the life we couldn't live and He died the death that we deserved so that our sins could be forgiven and that because our sins have been forgiven, we've been set free, the debt has been erased. Now we get to live from a posture of grace that we can live out of the Gospel wanting to be pleasing to the Lord, wanting to represent Him well, wanting to live lives that make much of Him because He is worthy of the worship of every single person on the planet. Scripture talks about all of creation cries out in worship to Him because He is worthy. So here are the applications for us today. And I'll just, these are, again, questions I'll just ask quickly. 
and we'll, and we'll leave it right there. Number one is, if you're a Christian, are you in the fight? Are you in the fight? Or are you cruising through this life? Are you rejecting the truth? Are you, are you leaving off and, and you're just ignoring the things that God says are true about you? Or are you seeking to know those things? A regular to being under God's preaching and in teaching of God's Word and reading and spending time alone with God? Are you counting on the Gospel? Are you fighting from the posture of the, of the grace of God? Are you fighting from a position of purity? Are you in the fight? Secondly, are you in danger of shipwreck? And I want you to hear me on this, Christian. Are you right now in danger of shipwreck? It amazes me that every time a hurricane comes in somewhere, that there are people who try to ride it out and think that it won't be that bad. It'll never be as bad as they say it's going to be. And is that the the attitude that you are displaying in your walk with the Lord right now? That somehow everyone else might experience tragedy, but somehow you will escape it. That it will never be that bad for you. To which I would ask you the question, are there subtle lies that you are believing? As your pastor, I would encourage you to be careful who you're listening to. To be careful who you're reading. Measure all of that by the Word of God. Are you rejecting certain commands of God to justify what you want to do? Are you right now openly violating your conscience and looking for loopholes in the Word of God in order to do the thing that you really want to do? I would call you to repent. Are there blind spots that you're unaware of that perhaps a small group of people in the family of faith could point out to you and help you to to navigate? Just as there are rocks sometimes just under the surface Are there things there that you are not aware of? And the third question that I would ask in these categories, are you committed to meaningful membership for the sake of one another and for the glory of God? I spoke of this this morning with with the membership class, and I spoke pretty highly of meaningful membership, and I think we have this in a lot of ways here, but I am not naive enough to think that everyone here who calls themselves a member is committed to meaningful membership, meaning that you are in covenant with your brother or sister, that you want to help them pursue Christ, that when you see them straying from Christ, that you are willing to confront them in their sin, not in a holier-than-thou self-righteous way, but in a way that says, I love you enough to confront you? Are you willing that when you are straying to receive the correction of others? The church of Christ is a gift from God, and we need one another. And Paul here tells Timothy, I'm giving you this charge because you've been set apart for this, Timothy. You were set apart by the church for the church. And I would ask you this morning as your pastor, Are you willing to wage the warfare of perseverance while clinging to the gospel and being a part of this faith family? Let's pray together. Lord, today has been heavy. It has been a serious subject. God, I don't want to just leave this thickness in the air, but God, I sometimes know that it's in the thickness that you do your work. And so, God, I pray that as 
as we sit and we just think about, Lord, what you've said through, to us through your word, God, that you might convict. Lord, that as the worship team led earlier, Lord, that your mercy might lead us to repentance. Lord, that there might be people that are sitting out there who come to see their life right before it crashes on the rocks of their rebellion. And God, that you might call them back. That you might cause the wind of your Spirit to fill their sails and blow them towards Christ-likeness. Lord, that you might fill this place and your people, God, with, with a desire to wage the good warfare. That you might cause us to persevere, to, to keep going, to keep believing and trusting. That you might lead us all the way to the end. God, that you might use your word this morning to call us back into gospel faithfulness. Lord, I pray this for your own glory and for the sake of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect and respond. If you today have been warned and, and you've been shown by the Spirit of God through His Word that there is some area that you are wandering, you are straying in, you are about to make shipwreck of your life, I would encourage you to come, to turn away from it and to come back. If you need to talk with me, I'll be on the front row. I'd love to speak with you and help you. Perhaps you need to just come and pray. Maybe there's someone in this room that you just need to, come to, to get and come together and pray together. Maybe there's some confrontation that needs to happen. I don't know what all needs to, needs to be done, but I pray that God's Spirit today would work, that you would listen, and that by His grace, He would grant repentance that leads to faith, that leads to life. You respond as he leads. Let's worship him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.